Good morning. It is 10.07 on a Think Tank Thursday. We're going to chat in just a minute with David Stokes from the Show Me Institute. But let me get to some of the responses to uh, the discussions we've had so far this hour. Gary writes, when could you just walk in? My grandfather came to the United States in the 1920s. He arrived at Ellis Island, had to have a sponsor, had to have uh, had to learn English, blah, blah. Very uh, from the inception of the country until very early in the 20th century, you could just come here. That's all it took. That's how my grandfather got here. But then we started putting all these rules and regulations and um, and then then we started this neo-socialist regime where we. Uh, use taxpayer dollars to provide all kinds of things like uh, education, food, housing. The fact is, you cannot have a free open border and a neo-socialist state at the same time. You can have one or you can have the other, but you can't have them both. And so right now we have the unenviable task of trying to stop people from coming into the country unless we let them in the door. That's a lot of real estate to keep those people out of. And it's very, very difficult to do. So what we have is a combination of open borders and uh, a socialist state. And it's breaking the bank. We can't afford it. All right, let's move a little closer to home because... Uh, David Stokes is with us. He's the director of municipal policy here at the Show Me Institute. More and more counties around the state are considering, and some are passing, property tax freezes for seniors. David, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Gary. And hey, before we get into this, I just want to say I just completely agree with your comments just there on the dilemma we're facing with immigration right now. Yeah, if you're going to start handing out tax dollars to anybody who walks across the line, that's going to encourage more people to walk across the line. And now you're breaking the bank. So, all right. Uh, How many counties? Is it uh, really catching on like crazy, or is it just a few counties? Just a few counties so far, but it appears to be catching on further. Obviously, I I don't think this is a good idea. I don't think freezing property taxes for one sector section of the population is good policy. Uh, but I do expect it will pass or we give it a year or two and it'll pass substantially around Missouri uh, unless major changes are made to it in the upcoming legislative session. It's, look, it's a pretty classic example of something that's smart politics but bad policy and in those cases, unfortunately, the smart politics trumps. But But what we're seeing here, this is what I wanted to talk about today, is, you know, counties are making some changes to it uh, as they implement it. And these changes aren't automatically bad in that, from an idea perspective, some of them are okay, but they've got no authority to do it. That's the frustrating part, is that, you know, the state law is clear. You can do what these counties can do, what state law authorizes them to do, and many of them including Jackson County and Camden County and the city of St. Louis are imposing additional requirements on the bill, which they simply have no legal authority to do. If, for example, in Jackson County, they decided to freeze the senior property taxes for people 62 or over 
only if the house is worth $550,000 or less. I assume they sort of picked that number randomly. Well, I, first of all, I don't think that's a bad idea. It makes a, it makes a bad, it makes bad legislation slightly worse if you're going to means test this slightly. But the state legislation gives them no authority to do that. And if Jackson County wanted to do it for Jackson County's own money, they could probably do it. But they're doing this in regards to school districts and fire districts and municipalities and on and on. So I predict that this that these types of changes in Camden County and St. Louis City are doing similar things, that these are going to lead to lawsuits. And I'm not even opposed to these lawsuits because I don't like the senior property tax freeze, but I do dislike doing legislation in the courts. Legislation needs to be done through elected officials, not judges. And every time a county does something like this, it just increases the odds that all this thing is going to go to court. And, and that's probably not a good ending. That's not good for democracy, even if it might work out in this case. David, I want you to paint me a picture. And, here's, uh, and I'm going to set up the canvas for you. We have this uh, lock on seniors uh, for their real estate tax. And five, six, seven years down the road, government continues to expand more students, more schools, more expenses, more money. The seniors aren't paying in at a greater rate. Now, I'm a 30-year-old with uh, a wife and two kids, uh, and I buy a house uh, five, six years after this uh, you know, property tax freeze, am I going to be disproportionately hammered when I'm starting my family because there are a bunch of people out there who aren't paying as much as they should? Absolutely. Absolutely, that's what's going to happen. And I would love it if... I'd be happy to admit I'm wrong if five, six, seven years from now, as part of the, the canvas you laid out for this painting... If government, local government in Missouri had made cuts and held expenditures back and we had smaller local government in, in response to this, I'll admit I'm wrong and I'll be delighted with that outcome. But that is unlikely. It may be, it may be forced in part, but it's certainly not the likely outcome on the whole. And yes, that 30-something couple with both parents working, some small, some small kids at the home, they are going to pay more in property taxes or possibly newer sales taxes or, or whatever if, because of this. That's what we saw in California. Now, California's famous Prop 13 from the 70s went much farther than this. I don't want to mislead anybody there. But California has very low property taxes for people who've been in their houses a long time. Extremely low as long as you've been there. But if you bought your house recently and got hammered by the high housing assessment caused in part by Prop 13, uh, your income taxes are through the roof out in California. Your sales taxes are high. California has very high taxes. They just don't have high property, high property taxes for people who've been in their houses a long time. But they do hit everybody else. And that is what's going to happen in Missouri as more and more counties adopt this. I think that's incredibly likely. So it, it's hard when you're just starting your career, you're just starting to make some money, uh, and you want to buy a house, the American dream. It's going to be more challenging to do that. And even if you're not buying the house, if I'm renting the house from David Stokes, 
David Stokes can't rent it to me at a loss. He has to cover the value of his of the real estate tax uh, in the cost of the rent. So no matter how you look at it, it's costing everybody more. It is that is almost certainly what's going to happen in Missouri. You go five or six years down the line because what will happen in the short term. Everybody will say, look, it's a freeze. It's not a tax cut. And that's true. For the next year or two, that, the, the effect might be small for everybody. But over time, and look, Gary, one of the big problems with this legislation is that it starts this tax freeze at 62 years old. I don't know about you, but 62 is not very old. Uh, plenty of people are still working at 62. It's one of the better ways to make this legislation better, slightly better, I would say, is to start it at like 70 or a more reasonable age here. People can live in their houses for a long time if you freeze their local property taxes at 62. Uh, 25, 30 years, easy. And you give it a decade, and as you said, there's going to be an enormous difference. And I, for one, don't see why two people, one 30, 165, who live in the same city, getting the same public services with similar houses, like next door to each other, I don't think it's fair that they'd be paying different property taxes for the same services. So I'm just, I think this is very bad legislation, and these counties trying to address it with their own changes, I give them the benefit of the doubt they're doing it for the right reason, but it's just another example of how poorly this legislation was drafted. Look, look, Gary, in Camden County, you know, Lake of the Ozarks, they put in their law that if you did improvements to your house greater than 50% the value, that that was going to trigger a reassessment and presumably higher taxes. Again, not allowed by state law, but not a bad idea. It, it goes to show how poorly SB 90 was, 190 was done, that there's nothing in it that says if a senior, once they turn 62 and get a property tax freeze, it doesn't say that if they put on a major addition to their house and double the size of it, that a new reassessment gets triggered. I mean, that's, that's just one of many examples with the flaws in this legislation, and I hope significant changes are made to it in the next legislative session. However, if I'm a senior, and Brian will be ever so quick to point out that I am, and I decide that I want to expand my house and that, that, uh, that rule doesn't get, uh, get applied, I'd be more likely to invest in, in expanding my house. I'm not going to get punished for it. The county's not going to take more of my money. Uh, and if we, if we were doing that for everybody, if we were moving to more of a land tax-based system or something like that, where that was there for everybody, sure, that's wonderful. We want to encourage investment without punishing with taxes. But, but the idea that you're going to do it for a small sector of the population, maybe not that small, you know, 20%, maybe higher, that they get this deal and nobody else does, well, that's, that's just... That's just completely unfair. And what we saw in California is that it's very bad economics, too. It's not, just, it's not just a fairness argument here. It's that when you impose these types of rules, you, have, you start affecting people's behavior. Like in California, somebody might not be able to take a job if they have to move and get out of that house that's been grandfathered in with the low property taxes because if they buy a similar house in a different city, they're going to be hit with a major increase. These are the type of changes that we'll see in Missouri as perhaps seniors who want to downsize when they're in their 
70s, they'll, and maybe downsizing is the right choice for them. Uh, they won't do it because they'll be giving up the property tax break that we gave them. And when you start making tax policies that start to influence economic decisions, that can be very harmful in, in the long run. For the, in the example I just gave is one, one good one. David Stokes, the Show Me Institute. Common sense? Can't find it anywhere any better than there. David, thank you. Thank you, Gary. A lot of information on this inform- on this SB 190 and related things, blog posts and testimonies up at showmeinstitute.org. Sounds good. Thank you, David. David Stokes. All right. I'm up against the clock. Got to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to have a, a conversation with Ron Calzone in a minute, uh, but and that'll be at 1035. But before that, I'm going to tell you a horror story about a hospital in Ohio. And when I tell you what this hospital did, I've never heard of such a thing. And I'm going to tell you, it's ugly. That's next to the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. He wants to talk about their oath of office. Uh, That's Ron Calzone coming on with us uh, in a few minutes. Uh, Let's look at the oath of office these legislators take. Uh, Missouri Speaker of the House uh, problems with the FBI fields of uh, office uh, all legis- uh, the, the, that all legislators take. Uh, quid pro quo promoted by the top-down power structure of the General Assembly. Let's all get that in uh, in, in uh, the next uh, segment of the program. But right now, a story out of Ohio. I've never, ever, and, and I, I talked to Brian about this. You're, you've never seen this anywhere no. or heard of it anywhere. This is just shocking. This is absolutely shocking. An Ohio woman apparently went in for some routine surgery. Uh, Well, I don't know how routine a heart catheterization is, but people go through it all the time and they come out fine. So the family um, discovered that this 65-year-old woman who was in relatively good health, when she went in the hospital for this uh, heart catheterization, uh, that... When they walked into her room, they thought she was alive. She apparently died during the routine surgery and was propped up to make her look alive in an effort to fool the family into believing that she survived the procedure. Oh, my God. Wonder how long they were going to try to continue that charade. Uh, Well, I mean, no, she's fine. Just, you know. She's sleeping right now. Uh, Apparently, uh, the local newspaper looked into some records, and uh, they have two different times of death. This guy that uh, performed the surgery had uh, apparently been uh, investigated in the past, accusations that he wasn't properly uh, credentialed. How's that possible when the government regulates all that, Brian? I don't know. Huh? You must have made either. a mistake. Yeah, certainly the uh, the government c- couldn't have been. Uh, no, that would never happen no, with a government no. stamp of approval on that, right? Uh, but imagine the hubris. You know, put her on a vent um, and, and prop her up in the bed and make it look like she's alive. What were they thinking? I don't know, but it's really, I've never heard of such a thing. I've never seen a case like this. Or heard of a case like this. They uh, allege that they were urged to turn off the life support 
despite the hospital staff knowing that she, she had already died. Oh, would I be furious? I don't even know. I, I, I can't even tell you. Um, uh, uh, there'd be no amount of money. There'd be no amount of money. I'd want somebody's head on a on a platter. All right, uh, 874-9390, We've got uh, the uh, Mike Murphy coming on. And there is a story that is in the news that Dave Rowland is going to chat about. Mike Murphy is going to be with us at 11.05. Uh, that's Como Buzz. But we're going to talk about Springfield in the final hour of the program. And I know that's probably unfair to Springfield listeners. But apparently the Springfield public school system won't allow uh, the uh, Moms for Liberty chapter down there to put out constitutions. Um, we're told by the uh, Springfield Public Schools that, this, uh, that these constitutions cannot be given out to students. They could be placed on a community table with flyers, but only... If we added the disclaimer that they were not supported by the Springfield Public Schools. <laughs> While we respect the need for transparency and accuracy, we believe that requiring disclaimers on a pocket constitution sends a message that, un uh, that undermines the importance of teaching the Constitution. What are you doing, Springfield Public School System? What the hell is your problem? Do you not want your young students to know what their rights are? Are you afraid that if they learn the limits of the Constitution that somehow they'll reject your indoctrinating? It's the Constitution. What is the problem? I think I know. Oh? Yeah, they're Do too, tell. Stupid they're too to stupid to understand it. Yeah. Oh, so... The Constitution wouldn't stand on its own. They have to have a disclaimer. Yeah, I'm thinking that's probably it. I would really love to hear an explanation from someone <laughs> in Springfield on how that ever happened. The copies are provided free of charge by the nonprofit 917 Society. They've been distributed by Moms for Liberty chapters and other middle schools uh, across the country. The name, logo, and website of the 917 Society have been printed on each copy. There's only a handful of school districts in the United States that have not accepted them. Why not? Why would, why would a school system want to put a disclaimer on the Constitution? I, I can only imagine there is a deep and abiding fear that somebody might pick one up and read it and understand it and then start spreading the word. Hey, we're supposed to be a free country. Not everything should be free. We should be free. And if you once understand the Constitution, that's exactly the uh, the conclusion you'll, you'll come to. So all that is... Uh, going to come up in the final hour of the program with Dave Rowland, MoFreedom.org. Uh, uh, but in the next segment, it's MoFirst.org. 
And it's the inimitable Ron Calzone. 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 We used to play that all the time. Anyway, he'll be with us. Una momento on the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show. It is uh, 1035 and uh, Como Buzz, Mike Murphy, he's going to be with us at 11.05. This story just breaking, I thought I'd point this out since I hate battery-powered cars. Apparently in Uzbekistan, uh, in a building not far from the airport, they had uh, electric cars and uh, stored electric car batteries and they caught fire. Um, Shocking uh, footage shows the explosion at 2.43 a.m. local time, which caused damage to hundreds of houses and other buildings over a vast area. Batteries for electric cars exploded at the airport warehouse, it is understood. Dozens of ambulances ferried uh, the wounded uh, to hospitals, and at least five children suffered wounds from the shattered glass. A 15-year-old died after a frame collapsed on his head due to the explosion. Oh, man, I, I, I'm so glad that Biden is forcing us. No, you see, Gary, that would never happen here. We would we would make the batteries the right way. That would never happen. But those so are I know what you're, you're trying to draw a distinction as if, you know, these electric car batteries are bad. And, you know, you failed in your attempt. But good try. <laughs> but good try. Yes. Oh, Lord. All right, uh, 874-9390, toll-free, 800-529-5572. Ron Calzone Cazzone. joins us. Yeah, there he is. Mr. Calzone, good morning. How are you? Doing quite well, as a matter of fact. Enjoying our, our pre-fall. I'm, I, you know, I'm curious. I'm going to ask you about this, uh, and then we'll go on to uh, the uh, topic that you brought up. That seniors uh, lock for uh, real estate tax... Are you in favor of that? You know, I've got mixed emotions about it. I listened to your discussion about it, and I I agree that it, it's concerning to think that you have different people paying different rates. But on the other hand, what we have too often is, is we have people that are foolishly paying inflated property, uh, you know, paying inflated prices for property. And it drives up the cost for someone who planned all their life, you know, maybe they, they were diligent, they planned all their life, they created a nest egg that would get them through retirement, you know, but on the other hand, there's this new added cost because of crazy inflation, you know, as you pointed out, also caused by government and, you know, inflating the money supply, but also caused by people who are, are overpaying for houses. And, and their whole retirement plans can be blown up. And, and so here you get at an age where you decide to retire, you're on a fixed income, you are going to take care of yourself, but now you're forced to sell the house that you plan to spend the rest of your lives in because you can't afford the property tax. It wasn't part of your budget. You know, so there's definitely uh, you know, a, an injustice either way you cut it. Well, the injustice is that they tax something you've already, <laughs> that you already bought. Uh, it's just another way to to fool the the public into believing that they're not being raped with taxes. Well, right. the ultimate solution is you just don't have property taxes. You should not have to rent your property. You know, right. so that's really the ultimate solution. Yep, I so, agree. So here, so here we are. You know, we're stuck between uh, two injustices, 
as long as we keep a property tax. If you eliminate property tax, then, then that eliminates that injustice. And also, the, you know, the problem, the challenge is, and this is, this is why, you know, you and I both agree we should eliminate property tax and we should go towards consumption taxes. When you, when you have a consumption tax as a basis, you have a way to protest. You can, you can buy less or you can buy used or you can barter. There are things you can do when government taxation gets too high, when the tax is a consumption tax, things that you can't do when it's a property tax. And one thing to keep in mind is that during the Great Depression, you know, the biggest uh, injustice of all, the thing that brings tears to your eyes, are people that were losing their farms and losing their homes, you know, during the Depression, because even though they were, were relatively self-sufficient, they couldn't come up with the cash it took to pay their property tax. You know, it, it just, the American public just don't wake up. I mean, you and I have been uh, talking about uh, this kind of thing for a long time. I've been preaching this for 20 years, but they don't get it. They, they're convinced that your kids won't get an education if the government doesn't provide it. They're convinced that you will not get health care unless the government provides it. They're convinced that your pharmaceuticals are going to be dangerous if the government doesn't regulate them. They're convinced that people will starve to death if uh, the government doesn't provide food. They're just not learning the cost and, and and frankly it's more than just the dollar amount in taxes well how many generations have we raised now that don't know anything different that's all they've seen is the government providing so much you know and now we have government schools that are providing breakfast for kids so parents don't even have the you know the responsibility to provide breakfast for their kids. They're sending food home over the weekends. And, you know, the fact is, is that it's kind of unfortunate that there are some kids whose parents don't care enough to feed them properly, either breakfast or over the weekends. But that's the exception. It's not the rule. And so well, we end up legislating for the lowest common denominator. We can't trust that parents know how to feed their children. Ron, we can't do that because... If you wanted to, you couldn't. You're too stupid. That's their mentality. You're too stupid. You won't. You the, won't do this. The unfortunate fact is, is the more government becomes the nanny, the more stupid parents will be. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you you don't you don't even have to pay attention. Just uh, make sure they get their clothes on and they get out the door, and uh, the, from there on out, the government will take care of them until three in the afternoon. Yeah. So was it Sparta that took over child-rearing? I, I don't know. I think it's uh, somebody, maybe somebody can, can uh, direct us on that. I'm having a, a senior moment, but I believe it was Sparta or one of those uh, civilizations over near Greece that, uh, you know, they just, you, you, you reared, you, you birthed the children and you, and you took care of them up to a certain point. Then the state took over them and they decided whether they were going to be soldiers or they were going to be this or be that. And, uh, and that's where I think a lot of people like to see America today. All right. We, I've taken us clean off topic. So uh, let's start. Uh, Missouri Speaker of the House and the FBI, what's going on? Well, I think we, we talked last time about the preordaining of the Speaker of the House. Was that the last time I was yes. on? Yes. The time before. And, and so that was Thursday. The very next day, the news broke in the Missouri Independent that the Speaker of the House, Dean Plocker, is under investigation by the FBI. And, and it's all over the fact that 
the legislature, actually the House, was considering adopting a new constituent services software package. And and so the Speaker, Dean Plucker, was was heavily pushing for the state to enter into this two-year contract. And so in the meantime, as this report stated, and, and if you've covered this earlier, you know, stop me. I don't want to be too redundant, but uh, the Dana Miller, who's the chief clerk, the nonpartisan chief clerk of the House, was saying, no, we don't want this package. We don't need the package. Just months ago, we revamped our in-house constituent services package, and, and it's crazy to spend $800,000 for a two-year contract. Well, well, Dean Plocker doubled down, and he was really pushing for it. And, and so now Dana Miller is claiming that her job was threatened by Dean Plocker if she would not stop resisting this change in this $800,000 two-year contract. In the meantime, you had a whole lot of citizen activists out there that were saying, we don't want this. This is going to put our personal data on the cloud. There are foreign countries that, are, that have invested in this company that the contract would be issued to. It's terrible, terrible policy. It's not good monetarily. It's not good in terms of privacy for our constituents. And so there was all this opposition, but Dean Plocker was the guy pushing it. Now, there's other speculation about why he was pushing it. There was There's some speculation about... Uh, maybe a donation to the MRCC, you know, which is the Republican, you know, Republican funding um, organism, and um, you know, which would be a quid pro quo if that was the case. If you get the, if you were to get uh, this contract or issue this contract, then this money is uh, is funneled through to to benefit Republicans. I don't know whether that's true or not. There's you know, there's discussion about that, but certainly uh, Dana Miller is claiming that. Uh, her job was threatened over all this, and so the FBI's gotten involved. You know, that's that is. There apparently there shouldn't be, but apparently there's a federal crime, uh, a federal law against doing that sort of thing. You know, threatening somebody over uh, a deal like this. But the thing I wanted to talk about is more basically than that, or more basic than that is uh, the oath of office that Dean Plocker and every legislator takes. And, and that is, is that they swear to not only support the Constitution of the United States and the state of Missouri, but it says they will faithfully perform the duties of their office. And, and it says that I will not knowingly receive, directly or indirectly, any money or other valuable thing for, listen to this, the performance or non-performance of any act or duty pertaining to my office, other than the compensation they normally get you know, by law. So the, either they, they are not... You know, if they accept something of value for the performance or non-performance, then they have violated their oath of office. Well, that's the reason that they pre-elect and pre-ordain the next Speaker of the House so that he'll be a money magnet. He'll be, so he'll be a money magnet, and you know, when someone gives money to the party or to the HRCC or to the Speaker presumed or whomever it might be, they do so with expectations. And, and you can't tell me that there's not times, you know, maybe more often than you might realize, that the performance or non-performance of their duty is affected by those donations. So you think that's a direct violation of the, const of the oath of, of office? Yeah, and the oath of office is part of the Constitution. And, you know, so I had a, a rep tell me recently that, you know, it's a relatively new rep, that when he was brand new, he would be on the House floor and and uh, and the lobbyists would uh, call him off the floor. So you know you can go to the doors of the House chamber or the Senate chamber. You hand your business card to one of the doormen, and you say, "I'd like to speak to Representative such and such." 
and and the doorman will go over to him, say, you know, Tom, Dick, or Harry wants to speak to you. Here's his card. And, and the rep says, I don't have time, or I'll be there in a minute. So anyway, this guy went out and uh, spoke to this lobbyist, and this lobbyist uh, said, you're posing the bill we're supporting. Don't you want to be our friend? Don't you want to be our friend? He kept saying, don't you want to be our friend? And so this guy was kind of confused about that, and he asked one of his colleagues, and he said, well, you have to understand that it's illegal in the building to offer a campaign contribution. So want to be our friend is shorthand for if you carry our water, you'll get a donation. That's being a friend. Wow. So, yeah, wow. And, of course, that's an exact violation of their oath of office. You know, so the implication is be our friend by changing your vote on this bill, which is the performance or non-performance of an act or duty pertaining to their office. So, legislator, if you're listening, the next time a lobbyist comes to you and says, don't you want to be our friend or whatever other shorthand they might use, you know, understand whether anybody in this whole world knows, God knows, that you are violating your oath of office if you change what you would have done because of that that potential donation. The problem is that the government does things it ought not have any power to do, and that's what brings people in to lobby. You're going to write a, a rule that you shouldn't be writing that's going to hurt my business, so I'm going to come in and lobby. Um, it, it, it's just... Or, or more often than not, you're going to give some kind of mercantilistic favor to me. Either you're going to yeah. give me some kind of monopolistic privilege or yeah. some kind it's, of it's, handout it's, or subsidy. It's, or, it's all... It's all because they're doing things they have not uh, the authority to do. Up against the clock, Ron Calzone, MoFirst.org. Thank you for being with us on The Gary Nolan Show. Thank you, Gary. All right. Como Buzz, Mike Murphy, that's coming up at 11.05. It's uh, 10.54, and I'm going through this story that uh, Dave Rowland's going to chat about uh, in the Springfield Leader about this uh, conservative group wanting to leave constitutions uh, on a table uh, or give them to students. And apparently the uh, Springfield school system is opposed. I think the problem here is that there is a stamp on the back of the Constitution. Uh, The copies are provided free of charge by the nonprofit 917 Society and have been distributed by Moms for Liberty chapters and others uh, to middle school students across the country. The name, logo, and website of the 917 Society have been printed on each copy. And I think that's what they're upset about. Not the Constitution itself, but that this is stamped on the back. Uh, uh, and I, I, I can kind of see their, their uh, position on this. Under their policy, which was adopted in 2015, the district limits what advertisement, including pamphlets and handouts, can be distributed directly to students has to be curriculum-related, district-sponsored, or from groups affiliated with the district. So they're saying they handle this the way they do requests from any organization uh, for materials to be distributed to kids. And uh, the Springfield News Leader, where this article is, uh, they said they obtained emails between Jessica Blank, uh, Blake, the uh, coordinator of community relations for the for the Springfield Public Schools and Patrick 
uh, and Lizzie Novum, uh, the vice chair of the Green County chapter. Um, and, and Blake explained that uh, the, the district maintains a, a closed forum and flyers and materials from groups not affiliated with the Springfield Public Schools are not eligible to be distributed directly to students. I think if they had not left a logo on the back of the Constitution that perhaps they wouldn't have run into this obstacle. But, you know, the Constitution is what it is. It's the, uh, it, it's, it, it's the operating manual for the country. The Founding Fathers created everything, put it all together, and then left us with an operating manual. Here's the way it's supposed to be. And you've got to read it, you've got to understand it, if you want to protect your, your freedom. You've got to know what uh, the Bill of Rights covers. You have to understand what they were thinking when they wrote it. You have to put yourself in their mind. You, you have to look at the history of the country and the history of the people who wrote it and the arguments for and against the Constitution. And then you enforce it. Every kid should, I mean, it, literally, this should be, I, I would, uh, if I were running a government school or, or a private school or any, any education, the, the, the Constitution would be a one-year, you know, pick the grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, whatever. It would be a one-year class. I would take it apart bit by bit. Here's what the Founding Fathers had gone through. Here's why they did this. Here's what this means. Here's what you need to protect. It would be a year-long thing. And I would teach that. I would teach math. I would teach reading. I'd throw in some basic science and some basic biology. There would be none of the, you know different types of sex or different types of attractions or we're going to cover up, you know, if you want to address yourself as a guy when you're a girl or vice versa. None of that would be a part of education. It's not supposed to be. That's the sort of thing that your parents are supposed to explain to you. But government schools... Just make a mess of everything they touch. They do. Uh, all right. We're going to talk about this with Dave Rowland. Uh, Dave, of course, is the uh, attorney that loves to sue the government to protect your freedom. He's going to talk about the Kansas City mayor arguing a police funding mandate should be tossed uh, by the Missouri Supreme Court. Uh, the Missouri Supreme Court weighing in uh, on constitutionality of a law banning sleeping in, on public land. We'll kick that around with Dave. Judge rules Donald Trump defrauded the banks and insurers while building his real estate empire. We talked about that earlier. Curious to get Dave's position. But next, Mike Murphy, Como Buzz with one Z on The Gary Nolan Show. This is The Gary Nolan Show. 